Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sake Revolution. This is America's first sake podcast. I'm your host, John Puma, from the Sake Notes, also the administrator over at the Internet Sake Discord. Please do come join us sometime. And uh, the Reddit guy, too. Uh, Most notably, though, not the Sake Samurai. That's the other guy. That's me. I'm your other host, Timothy Sullivan. I am a Sake Samurai. I'm also a Sake educator, as well as the founder of the Urban Sake website. And every week, John and I will be here tasting and chatting about all things sake and doing our very best to make it fun and easy to understand. That is uh, as right, Tim. as great. Now, I understand we're going on a bit of a journey today. We're going up north. We're going up north. All right. Yeah, so we're going to be doing our little deep dive. I love doing these little prefectural uh, uh, visits. These are always a lot of fun. I always get a kick out of them. Yes. But I'm especially excited because this was the the site of my my most recent, I don't want to say last, <laughs> most recent visit to Japan. Yes, you got in a trip to Japan right before the pandemic hit. <laughs> right you, under the buzzer. Tim. You lucky duck. <laughs> yeah. And where did you go on that trip? I went to well, we started our trip in Sapporo, which is in Hokkaido, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Hokkaido. Now, I always jokingly refer to Hokkaido as the Alaska of Japan. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? I get it. It's the coldest part by a country mile. Furthest uh, north? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. when I, I talk to people sometimes, and when I tell them, oh, I went to Hokkaido. It was crazy. There was snow everywhere. They were like, all over in Japan, and like in the streets, there were just piles of snow? We're like, yeah. And they because they always they, people think of Japan's climate as being kind of Tokyo. <laughs> and Tokyo's climate, and they don't think that. Well, no, it's a you know it's a vertical country, and you can go quite north. Yeah, and well, I refer to it as the Alaska of Japan, not only because it is much farther north than the rest of the country, but did you know it was also added on to the country later in history? Like it was not originally part of Japan and added later, just like Alaska was. That that definitely getting Alaska vibes from that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I've been to Hokkaido once in all my trips to Japan. I went mm-hmm. to a city called Hakodate. Oh, that where you went. Hakodate is the first city that you come across when you're going, uh, you know, south to north, I think, right? Yeah. It's one of the major kind of gateway cities when you're coming up from the main island. Mm-hmm. I actually went there when I did my boat trip to Japan, that cruise I talked about. uh, Mm. And um, we went to Hakodate, was the first stop in Japan coming from Alaska on the cruise ship. And uh, that was our opening port for Japan. So we really enjoyed it. And the one thing I left remembering about Hakodate was seafood. The city is branded yes. as seafood central. Even the manhole covers had squids on them or <laughs> crab or something, some seafood on them everywhere you look. So that that's my lasting memory from that trip in 2009. <laughs> all right. All right. My main memory uh, or my uh, goal, I guess, going to Sapporo was actually a, an annual snow festival they have every February. The uh, Sapporo Snow Matsuri, the Yuki Matsuri. And that was a a whole lot of fun. They built these giant uh, ice and snow sculptures. 
but in 2020, the snowfall was a little bit short of what they normally have. So they had to bus the snow from higher, from uh, more, from more Northern areas of Hokkaido down into Sapporo so they can build the giant uh, sculptures. It was, it was quite amusing, but they were very, very, very intimidatingly large <laughs> and very beautiful in a lot of cases. It was a lovely visit. I think the snow festival in Sapporo is one of the most famous things in Hokkaido. Don't you think so? I mean, I've heard of it before and I think it's really well known. It's, I don't know. Mm. I haven't heard a whole lot of things about Hokkaido, <laughs> so it's one of the only things yes. that I've heard about. Um, I know that, and I know that if you go north enough, you can see the northern lights. And that's, Ooh, I did not know that. That's, that's awesome. what I've heard. I, ho okay. I hope I'm right. <laughs> Somebody correct me. Uh, send uh, to feedback at sakerevolution.com and, and tell me that I'm wrong. I think with enough sake, you'll see the northern lights. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I see a pattern developing with, seeing, with, with having sake and seeing things. Uh, but but I'm I'm glad that we went to different cities. We got maybe a little bit of a different vibe. It sounds mm. like your experience was a little bit more seafood centric, and at yes. Hakodate being on the water was yes. was very much like here's some crab. Yeah, it's a major fishing port, and a mm. little bit of a tourist town, and not as big as Sapporo, obviously. And uh, I remember having just an absolutely wonderful time and going to the fish market. And it was fun to visit a fish market. Like if you go to a major fish market in Tokyo, like Skiji used to mm -hmm. be, uh, it's very overwhelming and very dangerous with those trucks zipping by. But this was <laughs> a much more chill but still, you got up close and personal with these giant crabs that looked like they could pinch your face off because they were like 10-foot wingspan crabs. Oh like, they were insane. But uh, the seafood we had there was just so good. And mm. sometimes it's fun to visit a smaller town. You can get more up close and personal with things. That sounds great. When we went to Sapporo, one of the major goals, at least for, for my shell, was miso ramen. Because that is... Uh, overwhelmingly her favorite style of ramen and mm. that is where it's from it's from sapporo they they, they put a big old slab of butter in there when you, what? Get, when you get your ramen it's <laughs> butter it's corn it's vegetables it's a salad on top of your ramen it's that's a lot of stuff <laughs> well i can get behind corn in ramen that's that's one of my <laughs> How about favorite the butter? You're right with the butter? <laughs> i'm ready <laughs> all right but i'm really curious to ask you about your sake adventures while you were in sapporo what happened did you find any good sake bars up there or was it all I have just to say, walking down the street in Sapporo if you just take out your phone and search for sake uh -huh. in Google Maps you will find it's like the densest uh, population of really great sake bars I, I would see one we'd pop into it and it would be a wonderful wonderful fantastic experience with a different selection than everybody else etc cetera, etc cetera. and Everywhere we went, we just kept coming across these wonderful places. And there were so many wow. more that we didn't even get to go to. But the one that sticks with me the most was the very first place we went to. It was called a Hokkaido Sake Bar Kamada. And the the catch, I guess, at, uh, at Kamada is all the food is uh, made from Hokkaido ingredients. And all of the sake is from Hokkaido only. Like a lot of the other places, they're carrying, you know, larger brands and, you know, stuff from all over the country. But... Kamada-san is very much focused on just Hokkaido stuff. And he has a lot of interesting and rare Hokkaido stuff, which is great. Mm. I always like finding 
there's one of these bars in every prefecture that's got like the stuff from that prefecture. Mm. And that was that was our experience there. Kamada-san also speaks English. So that was very useful. And that's Love where it. I learned about the rices that they had there. Uh, a lot of detail about the profiles of a lot of the sakes that we were tasting that just make the, the whole visiting Japan experience a lot easier. Fabulous. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I, that's I'm I'm taking notes, John. This is going on my to-do list. And it's my... going in the show notes too, not just your notes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. And one of these yeah. days we'll be able to go back there and I'll, I'll visit uh, Kamada-san again. That sounds amazing. It was a really nice place. Yeah. Um, I, re I really like those types of bars that focus on something very specifically because mm -hmm. you can dive super deep in something you think you might know a little bit about. And I just love that. Yeah, yeah, it was it was just a, a great, great time. And one of the first things that he told us was, and, and, and I guess this is just part of his, like what he thinks that people who are into sake are really interested in hearing, and he was right, <laughs> was that he's like, in Hokkaido, we have three major types of rices here. Mm -hmm. And he went on to name them, the Ginpu, Suise, and Kita Shizuku, and then gave us sakes that used each one and had us compare them because they were all from the same brand. So it was like just one brewery that did a sake for each rice type, but the same milling percentage, the same everything else, just the different rices. Uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. That sounds great. And what a cool experience to taste those sake side by side and kind of taste what the different rices bring to it. Very cool. Yeah. And then as you were pointing out, that's like that's that kind of experience you get when you go to a place that's hyper, hyper focused. Right. Well, Hokkaido is an interesting prefecture. It's the second largest island of mm -hmm. the four main islands. So there, it has a lot of land mass. And I think if you ask the average person on the street in Japan what they what Hokkaido is all about, my vibe has always been that they've got they think about it as like the breadbasket of Japan. It's got. Mm. Uh, more open plains and they have a lot of dairy there it's really well known for butter that's maybe where the butter comes from in mm. your ramen <laughs> yeah i was just thinking and, of that myself i was like oh, wait yeah. a minute that makes sense yeah so and it's it's cold oh, it very, very cold. cold arctic i mean cold. it was it was february so what was i expecting but yes <laughs> it was very cold <laughs> Yeah. Where I lived in Niigata, it snowed a lot, but it was a wet, heavy snow and it didn't get as frigid. But mm. when you're in Hokkaido, that's much farther north. You're really close to Siberia, actually. And you get really, really cold winds. Yeah, we got very cold winds and we got a ton of snow. I know I had mentioned that, that it had not been snowing enough for them to really make the, the statues, but the weekend of the festival, it, the, the temperatures plummeted and, you know, we were a little bummed that maybe we weren't going to get snow weather when we mm. were going to Sapporo, but the, the gods of Sapporo decided to help us out and give us the real Hokkaido experience. Uh, the the snow was a different texture than I think I'd ever experienced. Also, it was mm. a kind of like a like cornstarchy almost. Ooh, very powdery. It, so it was pretty dry, but it stuck to everything. <laughs> um, so like you know, we get inside and our jackets are just like covered in snow, but we can't get it off. It's just like attached until it melts. <laughs> it was very weird. Very Is it unusual. Like cr crunchy texture snow or no? It was very soft. Mm, it's very unusual. It was a, like all the best qualities in snow in one flake. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And then one other thing that we noticed when we were there is that there's so much snow that they really don't bother shoveling it in a lot of cases because hmm. there's just too much. Like you're just, you're, you're, you're swimming against the stream, you know? Hmm. So a lot of the snow on the streets and on the sidewalks just becomes like packed ice. Ooh, that sounds dangerous. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you, you yes. Um, <laughs> but everybody over there has shoes that are kind of built for that sort of okay. thing. A lot of that we went into a shoe store and even like the dress shoes had these like these bottoms that were made to adhere to, to ice and snow mm. very well. But for the people visiting like us, all the local convenies, the convenience stores all had these little um, rubber a little elastic uh, strap-on treads that you can put on your shoes that would help <laughs> you to not slip. <laughs> Only in Hokkaido. <laughs> Only in Hokkaido. And we saw quite a few people who did not have those treads, quite a few tourists wipe out um, horribly uh, <laughs> at a street light. As soon as the light turned green, they were like, okay, we're going. It was like, whoo. <laughs> Luckily, it was snow, so they kind of fell and they were okay. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, so, uh, do you want to do you want to take a guess how many sake breweries roughly there are in Hokkaido? I want to say there's fewer than one would think. Sake breweries often in cold places, cold climates are really good for sake. Hokkaido is the coldest place, but I think it's probably something closer to like what thirty? Uh, we're talking thirteen. Thirteen. Oh my yes. goodness. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, roughly. I don't know the exact number, but it's around 13. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to make a note of that. 13. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those where if you really want to get ambitious, you can visit all of them in one prefecture. <laughs> yeah. And just for comparison, the the prefecture with the largest number of sake breweries is Niigata with 90. <laughs> so that's, our, that's uh, just to give you a sense of scale there. Hmm. Yeah. Well... Um, All right. And, you know, of those 13 breweries, there's one that I think is really very, very famous. <laughs> there is one <laughs> that is very famous. And yeah, really well known. I think that when we were both getting in or getting introduced to sake for the first time, it was a very, very popular sake in New York. Yes. John, what are we talking about? We are talking about Otokoyama. Yes. Man's Mountain. Man's uh, Mountain. So this brand from Hokkaido, Otokoyama, is one of the first really dry sakes that I think came over. They have a Junmai sake that sold really well for many, many, many years. Oh, yeah. And as you were just mentioning, I think a lot of people who had experience with sake 15, 20 years ago this was one of the main brands that was out there mm -hmm. and really came to be for a lot of people, I think maybe their first step into premium sake. It was definitely one of the first sakes I'd ever tried. Yeah. Uh, it was very approachable, very nice and um, affordable too. And affordable. Yeah, yeah. Very much. so. Yeah. So you and I are both going to be drinking sakes from the Otokoyama brewery. But we're not drinking the Junmai that we just mentioned, the classic that's everywhere. People can go out and find that very readily. But you and I both have different sakes from this same brewery. So why don't we both briefly introduce the sakes that 
we brought to taste today. So, uh, John, why don't you lead us off and let us know what which Otokoyama sake do you have with you? Uh, I have the Otokoyama Shiboritate Tokobetsu Jumai Nama Genshu. Well, that's a mouthful. It is. It is. <laughs> this is the first sake they make for the year. It was uh, bottled in back in January. And it is from uh, Otokoyama, as you mentioned. The rice type is Gimpu, which is one of those mm-hmm. one of those exclusive Hokkaido sake rices. The rice polishing rate is fifty five percent. The sake meter value is plus two, and the acidity uh, one point seven. And uh, as against you, seventeen percent alcohol. Mm. That's getting up there. It is. Yeah. So for our listeners. Should we go through the different terms in the name of your sake and give them a quick definition? Shiboritate, Tokubetsu Junmai, Namagenshu? I think uh, I think a refresher course is in order. Let's do it. So, Shiboritate. So this is freshly pressed, bottled, and shipped right out. Yep. Tokubetsu Junmai. So Tokubetsu we talked about in the past means special. Junmai is the... You know, your ground level for premium pure rice sake. And this is milled down to 55%. So that's where your tokobetsu is coming in, I'm sure. Yes, very tokobetsu. Uh, they can call this a junmai ginjo if they wanted to, but they're going for, for junmai probably for flavor purposes. And this is a nama. This is not pasteurized at all. Yep. And it is a genshu, which is where that 17% alcohol comes from because it is not diluted by water in the least. Yeah. Or wow. at least... Barely, if, if at all. Yeah. You may well, go back to our Genshu episode for why that's a funny joke. <laughs> well, there is a lot going on in that sake. It, it, there so, is. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll have to see how the flavor and aroma deliver on that. Yeah. But yeah. let me briefly introduce my Otokoyama sake. This is Kita no Inaho Daiginjo. Mm. This is, again, from our Otokoyama Shuzo in Hokkaido. Now, the rice type that I have for mine is one of those three famous Hokkaido rices you mentioned. This is suisei. Mm-hmm. And the alcohol percentage here is 16%. The SMV is plus one. The acidity is 1.2. So that's actually pretty low when you get down around 1.0. That kind of mm-hmm, might mm-hmm. give it a softer impression. And then the rice polishing for my Daiginjo is 40% remaining. So the English name for this sake is Rice of Hokkaido. Ooh, I like that. That's good. Yes, and that must be referring to the suisei. Yeah, yeah. Suisei is an interesting rice. It was adopted in 2006, so fairly recently. And it's a blending of two different strains of rice. Uh, Gimpu is one of the parents of this. And also Hatsushizuku. All right. And in my case, with the having my gimpu rice, gimpu was adopted in the year 2000. So mm-hmm. I think I think yeah. all three of the of the sake rices from Hokkaido that we were talking about are millennials. <laughs> <laughs> They're all uh, 2000, yeah. 2000. Yeah, yours was 2006. Uh, six, and then the, the last one is 2014. Yeah. Wow. Well. Hokkaido has been on the move with sake rice. Yeah, they're making they're making moves. I think, I think then in the coming years we're gonna see a surge in, uh, in great sake coming from Hokkaido. I have a mm. feeling. I'm excited about it. Yes. 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I'm also very excited about your 40% uh, sake. You, we cannot keep you away from the from the Daiginjos, can we? Should I open it up? <laughs> oh, yes, you should. <laughs> I, I took that as an invitation to open it, John. <laughs> it, it, is, is, it is an open invitation. You, you set me up. All right. Yeah. <laughs> mm, okay, so the, the aroma on this is an interesting blend of fruitiness and riciness. Mm -hmm. So even though it's 40% remaining, you might expect this to be some kind of velvety luxury Daiginjo, <laughs> but there is a strong aroma of rice balanced with fruit. So it's mm. both coming across. And relatively intense aroma as well. So really? it's not shy, not retiring, uh, pretty forward. And I would describe this as a complex aroma for sure. Oh, nice. Now let me give it a taste. Hmm, interesting. So it, it has more of a rice flavor on the palate. Mm -hmm. The little hints of uh, fruit that you get in the nose are not really present in the flavor. You get much more rice, and it is not as complex as the aroma as well. It's more straightforward, very smooth but leaning more towards that food-friendly style that we often talk about here on the podcast, where it's more geared towards a type of sake that you really want to pair with uh, richer style foods mm -hmm. and uh, really unique, very smooth, as I said, but rice forward. And for a Daiginjo, I really feel that this is not a Junmai style. This has just a little bit of distilled alcohol added. So this is a Daiginjo, a very lightly fortified with distilled alcohol for texture. And you really can feel that in the texture. Very, mm. very smooth, velvety texture. But the rice flavor is not to be denied. And since they call this the rice of Hokkaido, I think they had to ensure that that rice flavor would come across in the taste. And they've really accomplished that very well. That's wonderful. Yeah. That sounds nice. I need to uh, to taste this sake at some point. Mm. Tim, save some for me. Yeah. <laughs> and the label, which you can see in the show notes, is also really cool. I like it. It has all these black raindrop shapes, which I think represent the grains of rice. So yeah. it's a really... That's really nice looking. Very, very nice label as well. Just such a fun sake. Really cool. Mm. So, John... Now, I'm super curious about... Now, you, you, that type of sake, I call the kitchen sink sake because it's got so many variables going on. Yes. So what... Uh, can't wait to uh, get your description of this one. Well, you had just talked about your label. I'm going to lead with my label because my Let's label is freaking adorable. So um, <laughs> it's got this, uh, this cute oh my little he's polar bear and he's got a little Ochoco. He's ready to have some sake. Uh, it's it very, cute, very cute, people. It's very, very cute. cute. <laughs> it is, it's in the running for like cutest labels, which another strong contender is Otokoyama's Hia Oroshi, which traditionally has sea lions doing the same thing. <laughs> So I think they've got the market cornered on adorable sake labels. <laughs> well, that polar uh, bear is pretty dang cute. He is. That'll be in the show notes. All right. A new mascot. <laughs> so 
this sake is uh, wonderfully aromatic. Um, big, big, like airdrops of fruit. It is just <laughs> so much. And it is Nama, so it's a little bit more, you know, wild. It's a little bit more intense. Uh, it's really turned up here and there. You know, they're going for it. They're embracing that. You know, all of that nice melon, slightly overripe because it is mm. that much more intense flavor. Mm. Mm. And then on the palate, it's delivering on that promise of all that fruit. There mm. is a nice hit of acidity that balances it out very nicely. That's also not uncommon for, I want to say, for your for your Nama Genshus to have a little bit of that acid bite when you uh, when you sip it. Mm. This is almost like a textbook Nama Genshu to me. It's like this mm. is something I would want to introduce somebody to when they're when they were very curious about what that style tastes like. This really stands out to me. It's very bold. It's got so much like really welcoming fruit. Uh, it's very well balanced, uh, and it is uh, dangerously tasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when when you talk about drinking sake right out of the sake press. Mm -hmm. That's what Shibori Tate is really all about. It's like from the press into your glass. And that's a lot of people live for that style of sake. It's and very bold, very intense. It's <clears throat> bold, juicy, zippy. Yeah. And <laughs> when we were in Hokkaido last year, it was February, so it was Nama season, Shibortate season, and most of the sake that people had was this like super big, super bold style. Mm. And by the by the first couple of days, like my tongue was getting tired. It was just it was <laughs> it was too much. Um, it was way yeah. too much to have ever with every glass of sake. I needed something with some pasteurization to, to tone it down a little bit. Yeah. It was just like it was you know it's like having conversations. And everybody's yelling all the time, right? <laughs> Oh, it was, yeah. it was a, a good time, though. It was very, it's very intense saga. Yeah. I think it's important to mention, though, when you have Shibori Tate, having it in Japan and having an exported version here in the States, there's a, do you, don't you think there's a little bit of a difference there? A little bit nuanced difference? There is, but I will say that I think they're getting better at it. Mm. I think that the importers are valuing the quality of their namas when they when they bring them over and i'm seeing a lot more i'm tasting a lot more sake that that resembles more the way it was supposed to taste when it was shipped out you know not all the time but but occasionally you get one that's just like wow it's it's really nailing it otherwise though you, there is definitely a difference it still has zip and mm. and juiciness and and it's big but it's a different it's a different kind of big. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you have two or three months of aging, even if you keep it ice cold, keep it sealed, keep it dark, you're going to lose a little bit of that um, true unbridled Nama, unpasteurized wildness. And my experience has been in Japan during that season when the first pressings come out from the breweries, it is just insanely good and but again you can't drink it every day or <laughs> or your palate will be destroyed it was uh it was rough <laughs> i mean it's 
as far as problems go, it's a good problem to have. It's a good right? problem. Oh my goodness! All this sake is too flavorful. Ha oh, oh. ha! What was me? <laughs> what was me? <laughs> but um, you know, it's a yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, now Hokkaido is back up on my list of destinations. Sapporo mm-hmm. Snow Festival. If you can handle the cold weather, I thoroughly recommend going in the winter. It is a wonderful experience. Well, now you gave me the hot tip about the uh, the cleats for the bottom of my shoes mm-hmm. and where to get them. And, of course, I cannot wait to visit Sake Bar Kamada. Mm. Tell them I sent you. I will. <laughs> All, uh, All right. right. That was fabulous. Well, yeah. again... So excited to visit Hokkaido. We hope our listeners enjoyed our little sojourn up north to the Alaska of Japan. Mm-hmm. And we are so excited you took the time to check out Sake Revolution. We really do hope that you're enjoying our show. If you'd like to show your support for Sake Revolution, one of the best ways to help us out would be to follow us on Patreon. We have two levels of support. You can join us for $3 a month, and you can get a preview of what sakes are coming up in future episodes. And if you want to join us for $5 a month, you can take part in our live monthly Zoom, the first Wednesday of every month. We can't wait to meet you live and on Zoom and drink sake with you and talk about all things sake in person and we're going to have a blast. Yeah, our first Zoom is coming up. Tim, are you, are you getting nervous? No, I'm getting excited. You're getting excited. Oh, great. Okay. Good. Yes. Good, good. Another exciting thing that you can do is take a few minutes and leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. You would not believe how much that sort of thing really helps us out. Also, subscribe. Make sure you subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Get them to subscribe, too. This way everybody's involved. We're all doing this together. <laughs> And if you would like to learn more about any of the topics we talked about or any of the sakes we tasted in today's episode, you need to visit our website, sakerevolution.com, and you can check out all the details in our show notes. Mm-hmm. And if you have a sake question that you need answered, we want to hear it. We want to hear from you. Reach out to us. The email address is feedback at sakerevolution.com. So... Until next time, please remember to keep drinking sake and come on.